We've been uh, studying the book of Ephesians and will be for a while. Uh, the book of Ephesians was written to a group of people at a, at a place called Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is a uh, town which was surrounded by uh, mysticism, witchcraft, those kinds of ideas. And so Paul spent a tremendous amount of time there. He had, there was a small group of believers there that were continually growing. And so uh, in one of Paul's deals, he writes a letter to them to explaining to them some things that they needed to understand. And we have that letter. We call it the book of Ephesians, and that's the the book that we're going to be in here for a while. And uh, we've talked about the first chapter. We're in the first chapter right now, and um, Paul writes to encourage these people. And so he lays out a number of foundations for them right off the bat. And we have been in the first 14 verses, and basically what you need to understand is that When this letter was originally written in the Greek language, verse 3 through verse 14 in your Bible was one sentence long. Um, And when Paul writes that one sentence, he puts a ton of stuff in there. So we've broken it down into three sections. And the one section, the first section, talks about the role of God in their salvation. The second section we talked about last week talks about the role of Jesus Christ in their salvation. And the second section we're going to look at this morning talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in their salvation. What Paul wanted to do is he wanted to give these people a really good solid foundation on what it meant to be a Christian and how that had come about. And so in the first part, he talks about the idea of God. He said, God has incredibly blessed you. He said, um, God has chosen you. God wanted you before the foundation of the world. He chose you to be his child, and he adopted you. He brought you into his family as a Christian. Last week, we talked about the role of Jesus Christ, and we talked about the idea that Jesus Christ redeemed you. He, He came into your life and liberated you from the bondage of sin. We talked about the idea that he gave you forgiveness of sin, that and, and what God did is he forgave your sins. He removed them as far as the east is from the west. He buried them in the depths of the deepest sea. He holds them. He does not hold them against you anymore. And then we talked about the idea that he lavished his grace upon you. And I talked about that idea of, of an ocean and how it, the waves just continually come. And that's a picture of the way God, Jesus Christ, deals with us, with his grace, just continually outpouring over and over and over and over again. This morning we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we get too far, I need to do a little preface thing here. The Holy Spirit is probably, I think, one of the most misunderstood parts of the Godhead. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three and one. But I think the Holy Spirit is probably the one that gets most abused today in our culture. Because we have all of these ideas and all of these theories and and, and, and all these thinking. So a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of this like... um, ghost kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit is a person, just like Jesus Christ and God the Father. So, and when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're talking about this idea of, of his role in our lives. And so a, a lot of people have the different ideas regarding what that means and how that works. And so we're going to lay out this morning some, what, what, what Paul says to the people at Ephesus. Because again, the, the, the town of Ephesus is heavily steeped in mysticism. Um, the cult has a strong presence in Ephesus. The idea of um, uh, this other world 
of gods and goddesses battling one another for control over people on the earth and appeasing those god and goddesses. That's, that's heavily steeped in Ephesus. So when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, he's going to put some tangible things to help them understand the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, here's what it says. Um, and uh, Peyton will have it on the screen for you. In him whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, under the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there, so we're just going to go through it. Word by word, phrase by phrase. Here's what he says. In whom you also trusted. So first of all, let's understand, he is talking to believers. He is talking to people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who are living at Ephesus and in the other churches and to us today. He said, in whom you trusted. So, and notice he does the idea in him, that idea of in Christ again. He says, after you heard the word of truth. This is important that we understand the role that God's word has in our lives. We're going to come back to this at the end. But it is so important to understand that God's word is what is true for us. And as truth... It is important that we base our lives on the truths of the Word of God. Not necessarily on culture, not necessarily on the whims of society. But he says to these people, look, you heard the word of truth. And that was from Paul and the, and, and the, the, the uh, apostles and disciples as they went to him. The gospel of your salvation. He talks about this idea that, look, the reason you came to know Christ is because of the word of truth. We came and we shared with you Jesus and the word of God and the truth. And he says, in whom also having believed. So there was a hearing and there was a believing part of it. And this is important. In their world, in the Greek world, the idea of belief is not a mental assent. It's not just simply, for instance, if I... um, it, it, is a, it was, had an actual trust element to it. Uh, I use this illustration. I understand that it makes me look kind of stupid, but that's okay. I, I don't, I, that's, that's all right. Um, I have always, from the time I was in junior high, I wanted to skydive. Okay? And be, when I got married, my wife put the kibosh on it. She says, as long as you have children, you're not going to kill yourself jumping out of a plane. So... For my 50th birthday, my kids are gone. And I'm like, now I can kill myself. Um, so I want to jump out of a plane. And so um, for my 50th birthday, that's what I did. That was my bucket list item. Now look, to me, jumping out of a plane is the ultimate test of whether or not you believe something. Okay? Because I didn't tandem jump, which means somebody else jumps with you. I, 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 I static line jump, which means you're the one that has to jump out of the plane on your own, okay? They'll pull the chute for you because you've got a big, long tether tied to you, but you're the one that has to jump out. You can believe all you want that that chute will deploy. The real test comes when you step out of the plane. Then you have made a decision that you really believe it because you're trusting everything 
to the guy who packed that thing or the girl who packed that thing, that they knew what they were doing. And you go, well, I just like, what if they goofed up? Well, then you're putting your trust in the secondary chute that you can pull away in case. You know. And you go, well, what if you pass out? Then you're putting your trust in the third chute. You actually have three chutes in the place that we jump from. Okay, um, The level was the first chute, you might break a few bones. The second chute, you're going to break a lot of bones. The third chute, you're not going to die, but you're going to be pretty messed up. Because um, they all get smaller. They all get smaller and more compact. They just try to lessen a little bit. of. But when you, real belief that those people did their job is when you step out of the plane. And they tell you, look, you may get up there and you may not want to jump out. That's okay. We can land with you in the plane. We got you up there. We can get you down. You don't have to do this. But there comes a point at which you go, do I really, really believe this? I believe it so much that I'm going to trust it. Now, I ended up breaking my tailbone on my second jump. It ended my jumping career if I want to stay married. Um, if I don't want to stay married, I can go jump out of a plane. But um, my wife said, mm, I'm done. no, 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 no. So as long as she's around, I, I'm, my parachuting career is over. Uh, but I loved it. I, I loved it. It's the most incredible it's the adrenaline rush you ever have, and I, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I, I actually will drive around and look at the clouds and go, this would be an awesome day to jump out of a plane. Um, did, that, did that just the other day. Uh, so, you know, again, I know it's, it's weird and all that. But that's the ultimate, to me, that's the ultimate deal. Do you really believe it? And what he's saying is, you believe. It, you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way for your salvation. You're putting everything in it. You're not adding stuff to it. You're not going, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll go do this, and maybe if I work hard enough, my good will outweigh my bad, or maybe if I join a church, then that'll give me like a little extra insurance, or, you know, if I give them enough money, or if, I, if I'm baptism, or I go through catechism, or I go through this, or I go through that, those are all my like extra little, maybe just in case this doesn't work things. No, no, he's saying, you believe, you put it all in there. And he said, and then he goes on to say this, because you did that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, sealing is not a big concept to us today, so let me give you the context in which it would have happened in the first century. In the first century, let's say I wanted to send a letter, um, let's say I wanted to send a letter to my mom, okay? Or let, let, let me do it this way. Let's say I'm governor of Iowa, and I want to send a letter to the governor of Texas, okay? Now, here's a question. In order to send that letter, how can he know that it's the real deal for me, from me? So what we would have done in the first century is I would have written it all out on a scroll or had somebody write it. We would have rolled it all up. I would have taken a candle and where it was sealed, and I would dump wax where the, where the two pieces of paper came together. And then, as that, before that wax hardened, what I would do is I would put a stamp or a seal in it. Often it was the ring. They would take the ring and they would stamp it or they'd have something on their, their desk where they would stamp it. And it was an insignia that was my insignia. I was the only one that had it. And so when it got to the governor of Texas, he would then grab that scroll and he would see two things. Number one, he would see that it was my seal. And number two, he would see that that seal wasn't broken. So it told him a number of things. Number one, it told him that it was from me. Number two, it told him that it was intact. And that it, it, was, it was authentic. It was the real deal. Here's what Paul's telling these people. The Holy Spirit seals you 
In other words, what God does is, when you and I became a Christian, what he did was he put his stamp on our life. He said, I am now going to be the authenticator that you are a believer. I, it is the real deal. You represent me now. I own you. It's that stamp, so to speak. And then notice what he goes on to say, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. This is a term you would be familiar with. When you buy a car, if you buy a new car, or you buy a used car sometimes, you go in and you put a down payment on it, right? And you go in, well, I mean, some of you pay cash and, and, and you know, owe to be you. But um, for some of us, we go in and we make a down payment on it. And then what happens is when we make that down payment, what we're saying to the company is, this shows you that I'm serious. I'm going to put this down payment on as a promise that I'm going to continue to make payments. And then at the end of my payments, what are they going to do? They are going to the redemption of the purchase possession. At the end of that, they are going to then hand me the title to that. Everybody follow me on that? Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment to you of what God is ultimately going to do one day when he redeems you in heaven. In other words, what God's going to do is he's going to say, look, I'm going to give you a little bit, taste, of what heaven's like here. When you go through a tough time, I'm going to give you a peace that the world knows nothing about. It's a down payment of a time that's coming when you will live all the time in peace. My guarantee to you that when you leave this world, you're going to join me for all of eternity is the Holy Spirit. That's the down payment that I'm putting as a part of your life. I'm sealing you. I am giving that to you as a promise of that which is to come. Now, You need to understand that if you're in Ephesus in the first century when you read this, that has a tremendous impact. Because the world in Ephesus is a world in which you're always trying to make the gods happy with you. You're trying to give them more money. You're trying to give them more stuff. You're trying to do more things to make them happy with you. You're trying to keep the gods content with you. And so you constantly have that battle going on. And when Paul writes and he says, look, God's not only going to keep his promise, but he's giving you a down payment of that which is going to become. And then he goes to the purchase of his possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the third time in nine verses he said this. Three times he said, look, it's about the praise of his glory. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And he lays that out. So. Let's talk some takeaways, some things for us to help us as we go this week. First thing. First idea is this. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit work together in your life, and it has to be your foundation. It's so important that we understand this. It's so important that we understand the role of the Word of God because what he deals, notice what he says about it. It is the Word of what? Let's say it again. Word of Okay, one more time. Word of? Word of? Okay, good, good. Make sure you're awake. Uh, It's truth. It's truth. And it is important that we understand this. Because we're in a culture 
which says it's not about truth. We're in a culture that says there's no absolute truth. We're in a culture which says you can believe whatever you want to believe. We're in a culture which says there is nothing that you can hang your hat on. And because of that, we have the problems that we have in our culture and society. Because we have abandoned truth. And we have embraced philosophies of this world, systems of this world, thinking of this world. And it creeps in so subtly. He's writing to a group of people in Ephesus. And the people in Ephesus are a combination. They're, they're Hellenistic. They're, so they're kind of combination Roman, Greek, Greek ideas. The Greek idea was all about the human mind and philosophy and how smart you were. And, 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 and what was true and what was not true and this debating back and forth. And he writes to him and says, let me tell you something. The word of God is the word of truth. And we've got to get back to that. Because we are in a culture where we've got ourselves and we're messing our kids up. Because we're not teaching them truth. I mean, let me give you an example. One of the issues that we have right now going on. Uh, the school shooting thing. I, I'm against school shooting. I'm not in favor of school shooting. But what amazes me is that we have a whole culture who's sitting there going, I just don't understand why this is happening. Really? Really? Why wouldn't it happen? Why wouldn't it happen? It makes absolute perfect sense to me. But not if you put it against the standard of the word of God versus the philosophy of this world. See, let me give you an example. What does our culture do? What does our culture teach our kids? Right off the bat, here's what we start teaching them. First of all, you were not a created being. There is no purpose for your life. You're going to have to generate your own purpose in life. You just happen to exist. This little thing did this little thing, and this little thing started to crawl, and then it did this, and then it did that, and then it did that, and then one day, bing, poof, you're a human being. And we've got lots of human beings around. And you don't have any purpose. You've got to make your own purpose as we go along. So you just happen to be a mistake of the evolutionary process. God says, I chose you. I created you. I, I had you designed before anybody even thought about you being born. I, Psalm 139, I knew everything about you. I, I put you all together just like I wanted you. That's truth. The world... Well, you know, we got to, because again, if that's true, then that means we're accountable to God. So let's do away with that. So we come up with this thing. Then we come to the issue of, 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 of you. And we teach our kids, look, it's all about you. It's all about you. Oh, you're pregnant. Well, it's your choice. It's about your choice. See, that, that baby, it's, it's really not a human being yet. We're going to call it a fetus. We're not going to give it a name. We're not going to give it identity. We're just going to call it a fetus. And you get to choose whatever you want to do with that blob. This is the world's philosophy. Okay? At a certain point, when that blob comes out, we're going to call it a human being at that point. But until that point, it's not a human being. God says, conception. It's a human being. Now, here's what's crazy. Now, all of a sudden, science 
is allowing us to see 3D images. And we're starting to realize, you know what? You don't have to be very old to be able to look at it and go, that's a baby. Long before that child's ever born. But we've raised a whole generation to say, you know what? That doesn't have value. So, if I believe that that doesn't have value, why would I not take a human life? It's a jump to all of a sudden go, oh, now all of a sudden it has value. You have to give it value. So now all of a sudden we're messed up as a society going, okay, now we have to give it value. You should care about other people. Why should I care about other people? The whole world's philosophy, the whole world's system doesn't make sense. In fact, if you want to study philosophy, here's what you'll find. People who are far better at this than I am, they will tell you that there's only one philosophy that makes consistent, logical sense. And that's the philosophy of hedonism, which says, it's all about me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Grab it all, because nothing else matters. It's the only one that makes consistent philosophical sense. On the other hand, God, on the other hand, says, no, no, no. We raise kids over here by truth. And truth says something like this. Every eyeball has human value. It's not about color of skin. It's not about age. It's not about whether or not they've got it all together or don't have it all together. Every human being has value. We treat every human being with dignity and respect and honor. Because that human being was created in the image and likeness of God. And because it's created, because he or she is created in the image and the likeness of God, we give them incredible value. No, you don't take a life. And you don't take a life because they are a creature in the image of God. And they have been made in God's image. You give value to that. That's truth. But when you abandon truth, just like we talked about in Sunday school, all you do is trade one king for another king. And when you embrace this, and so we have a whole world of kids who are messed up because they don't understand any of that. Why should we? And by the way, and then you know what we go on to say? Over here, you know what they believe? Every person is inherently good. So we don't understand why somebody would do something like this. You know what this says? Every person is inherently bad. Never had to teach. Never Ever. Okay, I'm going to talk about Claire again. She knows now when I talk about her because she tells us. Um, yeah, see, there we go. Uh, no one had to teach her how to throw a temper tantrum. I never sat down with her and said, okay, honey, here's what you do. When you want attention, scream as loud as you can, sit on the floor, and make as much noise as you can until everybody's so they give you whatever you want. And nobody's told her that. But somehow, Unless my wife did this. Somehow, (laughs) she has learned to do that. And it's not because, as sweet as she is, she is inherently good. She is inherently selfish, just like all of us are. It is through the grace of God and the power of God that we learn to do it differently. But the world over here, and so the world's all, all, the world's all, you go back. I remember a time when trucks had gun racks. 
remember that. And they were in the school parking lot with guns. Why? You see, that generation had been raised to respect authority, to respect human life, to respect and give value to other people. Why are we shocked when we have a whole generation that doesn't know that? Because we have raised them that way. And I, I stress this because we've got to get back to this idea of the spirit of truth. We've got to get back to what's true. My wife and I, we had a discussion this past week, and she used a phrase that, that, that kind of irks me a little bit. And so I had to address it. Um, she, said, she said something about, you know, well, I'm worried that I threw that person under the bus. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I walked through a whole series. I said, let me ask something. Is what you're saying true? She said, yeah. I said, let me ask something. Um, do you have any, any um, uh, vindictive nature or anything else? You're trying to do something in order to get this person in trouble or anything else? Do you have the best intentions of bringing this to the attention of Yes. I said, let me ask something. Are you going to people who can solve this problem? Yes. Are you going to people who need to know about this problem? Yes. Are you doing this for the betterment of everybody involved? Yes. Then explain to me how you're throwing somebody under the bus. Oh, and the other thing was, is it true? She said, are, are, are you saying anything here that's not true? But we brought up to be, oh, no, 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 I'm throwing somebody. Wait a minute. You're helping everybody across the board, even that person, even if that person doesn't realize that you're helping them. That's what Proverbs says. The kisses of, an, uh, the, the kisses of a friend are deceitful. Uh, wait a minute. How, okay. The kisses of a the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend are faithful. Someone who genuinely cares about you is going to help you and tell you the truth, even if you don't like the truth. And we've got to get back to this idea. What does the Bible say? And are we, look, you take it and you look at your marriage and you say, I'm going to put my marriage up against the truth of the word of God. I'm going to raise my kids to the truth of the word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to do my business according to the truth of the word of God. I'm going to live my life according to the truth of the word of God. Not... By society and culture and all the whims. This is what's getting this is what's getting churches in trouble today. Because churches are going, oh, you know what? I just people aren't gonna like that. So we're gonna do what everybody likes. And then some point somebody goes, Well, we're just like the world. Why do I even go there anymore? We're just like everybody else. Instead of going, what does the Bible say? And what are we doing about it? And so this idea of, like he says, the spirit of truth. Notice what he also says. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand this morning that you have been sealed by God. Here's what that means. He's got his stamp and his insignia on your life. Um, If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's the real deal. There are different people who believe different things about the Holy Spirit. There are some people that believe that... That, like, when you get saved, you get, like, I, I don't know, you know, you get, like, 50% of the Holy Spirit, and then when you do this, God gives you a little more, and then God gives you a little more, and then, then when you do, like, their, whatever big thing they have, then God gives you more, and then you can get it all. Let, let me explain this to you as clearly as I can say this. You got no more of the Holy Spirit than I do. We all got it all. The difference between you and me is that how much you access it, and how much I access it. I look at the illustration this way. 
Uh, when we rent, when, when, um, when my wife and I travel time to time, we rent a car. Okay, and um, uh, one or two years ago, we were renting a car, and we were. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a horrible car. I'd never buy one of those for any money in the world. But um, if somebody gave me one, I'd sell it. Uh, but we rented a car, um, and and it had a paddle shift in it. I didn't know what a, I didn't. I'd never driven a car with a paddle shift. I'd driven a car that either had automatic or manual. And if it was if you wanted to have fun, you got a manual. If you wanted to be bored, you got an automatic. But I so and it was automatic. It had the paddle shift in it. We were we were at the Hoover Dam, and if you know about the Hoover Dam, it's like one of these. And and I hit something, and it went to paddle shift. And I was so frustrated trying to figure out what this thing was. Now here's the thing: I'd had that car for like four days at that point. Paddle shift was on it the entire time. I just never accessed it. I didn't know anything about it. All of a sudden, now it's like okay. So then then when I got a couple of fun rides, like okay, paddle shift. Um, I still hated the car, but paddle shift was cool. Um, but the, 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 the point is this. You have it all. You just haven't accessed it. Okay? A, a, a example. Do you know everything your phone will do? No, that's why we have teenagers. Okay? Because we have them help. But you've got a phone that will do all kinds of stuff for you. You just have no clue. Those of you who are like me and you like the Alexa and the home. You know, I was like over, I was with Josh, helping Josh yesterday. And, and, and he was upstairs fixing something. And Alex is downstairs. And we're working in the basement fixing stuff. And they needed to talk to him. And the next thing I know, the, 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 what do you got, the Google thing? Yeah, the Google thing's talking back and forth to each other. It's on an crime going all over the house and stuff like that. And then Alex looks at me and goes, you know, yours will do that too. I'm like, yeah, probably. Um... <laughs> I said probably, but, you know, my wife and Alexa, we, there's an issue there. Um, that's like a marriage issue thing. Um, the latest thing with, the latest thing with, with you got to know this, the latest thing with um, Alexa, which is, is Amazon's version of it, is you can have a conversation with it. Artificial intelligence. So I'm reading about this, and so I'm sitting in the living room, and I start a conversation with Alexa. My wife's in the living room with me, and she's like, you will never do that again whenever I'm around. Because it, 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 I mean, honestly, it got creepy, creepy. Um, you know, um, it'll do all of that. It'll do all that. Listen, it's the same way. When you and I put our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit will do incredible things for us. The difference is some of you access it, some of you don't. And as you grow in Christ and you start to learn and you start to develop, what you start to realize is how much you have accessible to you as a believer. And Paul says, you guys need to understand you were sealed, you were stamped, you are the authentic real deal. God has given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment of the inheritance of that which your life is to come. I've watched people handle life's crises with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Truth. By the way, the Holy Spirit and truth often go together. They're often linked together in Scripture. I've watched people handle it that way, and I've watched people handle it with the wisdom of the world. Teenagers, listen to me. I have observed 30-some-odd years of teenagers who embraced the philosophy of the world and teenagers who embraced the spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit leading their lives. And I'm here to tell you, Although this looked fun, this became enslaving. And when crises came, it was a night and day difference between how they weathered the storms. 
I have watched adults embrace the philosophy of the world when it comes to their marriages. And I've watched people embrace the spirit of truth when it comes to their marriages. And I'm here to tell you, when you step back and you watch this play out day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that's the side you want to be on. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in truth. He will help you as you make those kinds of decisions. You have that as an inheritance. Some of you are dealing with tough stuff right now. Look, you have the Holy Spirit in you permanently until the day you leave this planet. You have an incredible resource. You're kind of like, you're kind of like me when I got into that when I hit that paddle shift thing and didn't know what was going on and I'm trying to drive 40 mile an hour in second gear and I don't understand why the RPMs are revving as high as they are because I didn't know what was going on. Once I figured it out, it made all the difference in the world. Once I accessed it and used it for what it was for, it made all the difference in the world. And it's no different for you and I. And Paul says to these people who have this all bangled out, messed up idea about this other world kind of thing. You guys need to understand the Holy Spirit is part of your life now. And he's been given in the seal. And then he's, the last part of it is this, to the praise of his glory. You want to know what your goal is this week? You want to know what my goal this week is as a believer? God's glorified in my life. When you go to work on Tuesday, you want to know what the goal is? God to be glorified in your life. Tomorrow, when you go through whatever you're going to do for tomorrow, for the holiday, you want to know what the goal is? For God to be glorified in your life. When you go shopping this week, you want to know what the goal is? Buy more shoes. No, God to be glorified in your life. You know what the goal is every time you encounter somebody this week? For God to be glorified in your life. And God will bring, the Holy Spirit will bring people across your path that you can honor God and encourage them all week long if you will be open to it. And you have no idea how he can use you. Neither do I. But I know that lives can be changed with just a few words. One of the reasons I got into ministry is because there was a girl in high school that I loved and liked. And I wanted her to pay attention to me, but she was way out of my league, okay? She was way out of my league. Um, and I knew I didn't stand a chance, okay? Um, and I'll never forget one day, it was after church, and we had done something as a youth group. We were really involved with the youth group as a junior and stuff like that. We had done something afterwards, and, and, and she walked up, and for some reason, I don't know why to this day, she said, you'd make a good youth pastor, all she said started me thinking down the road. Ultimately, led to doing this. Now, she could have said anything. I was going to pay attention to her. But <laughs> she said that. And by the way, FYI, always marry out of your league. Okay? Proof in point. Okay? Always, always <laughs> marry way out of your league. You know? That's what I... That's always, it's like... It's a conundrum because on one, element, on one element, you know, I married way out of my league. On the other element, she's kind of dumb to marry me. But, um, you know, um, there's both elements at play there. But I, I say this to say you never know how what you can say can influence or impact a life. Let 
God use you this week? You have the Holy Spirit. You go, how do I know? How do I know? You be sensitive to God's leading this week. And when you are prompted to do something, you go, boy, you know, I just don't know about it. And you're sitting there making that debate. Do it. Follow your heart and what God is speaking to your heart about when you know it's something that God could use for good to honor him. And let him use you this week. Because that is part of a small part that we get to play for all of eternity. Which, what are we going to do for all of eternity? Glorify God. So we get to practice this week. Here. So I end with this. As we, as we come to the head end of this week, God's word and his spirit at work in your life to allow God to be seen in you. As a believer, God has sealed you with his spirit. His seal means he's your owner. And you're one of his authentic children. Live in such a way that people glorify God as they see him in your life. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Help us. Lord, the idea that you would give us your spirit to live in our hearts and our lives, that you would allow us to be able to follow your leading and your promptings this week, Lord, is an incredible gift. And Lord, I pray that as you quietly speak in our lives, that we would filter out so much of the noise of our culture that we'd be able to hear you. That we'd be able to respond in a way, Lord, that you can use us. And Lord, when it is all said and done, we gather back here, Lord willing, next week. We can look back at ways that you used us to encourage, help, lead, bring others to Christ. Be glorified in our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. and We're going to sing. Actually, uh, Peyton, we're going to go to verse 4.